welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome to High Energy Health. I am so delighted, as always, to be sharing with you today. And each week on the show, of course, we cover all kinds of interesting topics relevant to your health, your happiness, and well-being. And I urge you always to make listening to positive media, positive music, positive conversations, positive movies, part of your daily life. If you make just filling your awareness part of your health routine, part of your well-being routine, filling your awareness with things that nudge the needle, nudge the dial of your consciousness toward optimism, toward joy, toward gratitude, you do yourself such a huge favor. And as you know, we have hundreds of episodes of the podcast up here on our podcast channel. It's such a gratification to see the number of people who listen to the podcast growing week after week, month after month. So more and more people are doing just that, what you're doing right now, which is prioritizing yourself, saying in the middle of all the craziness of the news, of all of these other inputs coming in from random places in the media, I am going to listen to something uplifting and profound and inspiring, and I'm going to apply those things to my life. So I'm so glad you're doing that. I'll tell you a funny story about me. You know that normally I don't talk much about myself, and normally I'm focused on my guests, but even in my books, I rarely do a lot of self-disclosure. But in the, the recent past, I got COVID. Now, the whole of the pandemic, I just never got COVID. I got my vaccine, my booster shots, and so on, and I had a good immune system, never thought about COVID, but eventually it happened to me. And I was at a conference, was interacting with people, in malls and airports and other places and, and didn't feel too good the day after I got back. And then the following day, I felt wretched, had a 104 degree fever, was aching all over, had a splitting headache. And so I had realized I, I had to deal with the fact that I had COVID. And it's so funny, even though I talk about using the best of modern, traditional, conventional medicine, as well as alternative medicine, at first I was thinking, oh, this can't be COVID. It's just a bad cold, something like that. But my wife, who is my source of reality checking, said, Dawson, take COVID tests. So eventually after a few hours, I took one and the little lines on the test lit up and there I was, COVID. And what really surprised me though, was that as I was dealing with all of those symptoms that you get when you have COVID, and for me, it wasn't, wasn't a long process. It lasted about two days, then it was over, but it was an intense two days. And as you can tell by my cough, it isn't quite over yet. As I was in that face and feeling all those physical symptoms, I found myself getting psychologically low. Now, that isn't a frequent experience for me. I normally am really upbeat and I feel wonderful after every morning's meditation. I meditate every morning for about an hour, maybe two hours, and I feel just fantastic both before and after. And during that time, here I was. I had COVID and I was just, I had no energy. I felt bad in my body. My mood went way down. And so I spent about 48 hours in a downward emotional space. And I then realized, wow, if I go back 20, 30, 40 years of my life, that down emotional space was where I was 
all the time. I lived there. <laughs> before I began a consistent meditation practice, before I healed my own emotional trauma, before I did all that personal growth, I, I lived there. And I thought, that's where I was. That's what I was. I didn't know enough. I didn't know enough to help myself or save myself or heal myself back then, despite all the healing tools at my disposal. So it is so powerful to have those moments of self-compassion when you realize, I used to just be stuck there for days, weeks, and months on end. Now I'm dipping down there for a few hours and feeling terrible, but I used to spend years there and I can tell you it's horrible to be there. And I'm so glad that I'm not. And I'm so glad we have the tools now on the show and elsewhere to not be in those those downward emotional spirals and in those really low places. So please, I want you to love yourself, care for yourself enough to make a habit of meditating in the morning, tap when you're feeling as though you're overwhelmed, seek the help of a competent professional, make sure you have great support both with conventional medicine, allopathic medicine, and also in whatever field of energy medicine and complementary medicine works for you. But make sure you get all of those resources together for the best possible life and do that for you. You will feel much better and you will also be of much greater service to the world in that space. And this show is just one of many ways you can do that. And doing it as a practice, doing it habitually means that you form a state of well-being, keep that state going for long enough. Eventually, you have a trait of well-being as you build enough neurological capacity in those neural circuits. And after a while, your life becomes just fantastic. So I'm glad you're doing that today and you're joining me on the High Energy Health and being in that space together. And I can tell you, even though I'm just now still in the last tailwinds of COVID, I, I, I feel wonderful and also great to be sharing this with you today and sharing resources with you that can help you move to those more elevated states. I've also been really excited today because I'm interviewing with someone I've known for a few years and her work is so influential and so important. And I know you'll have as much fun connecting with her as I've had. Helene Wabe is the Director of Research at the Institute of Noetic Sciences. She's also a professor at the Department of Neurology at Oregon Health and Science University and president of the Parapsychological Association. She's trained as a naturopathic physician, and she's also published and spoken internationally on alternative medicine, complementary medicine, mind-body medicine, extended human capacities, PTSD, stress, and other conditions. She's also known for not just her research, but her approach to channeling. So, Helene, it's wonderful to have you here on the show. Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction, Dawson. And thank you for sharing about your recent experience. That's quite intense. And I'm sure we could spend the whole time just teasing apart all the money <laughs> that you received from that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's just, I just, I'm so thankful we have all these tools now to help us really have much Absolutely. better lives and recover, recover quickly. And so let's just give a brief recap of your, your past, what brought you here, why you chose to get into naturopathy as a profession, how that took you into research, and then how that has led to your most recent book and the whole progress of, of those ideas and interests for you. Yes, it's been a wonderful road of exploration for me. As a young child, I was really quite sensitive and would feel kind of other people's emotions or energies in the room. And I grew up in a really fascinating family in that my mother's side of the family was very into the esoteric. And I went to my first spiritualist meeting when I was 
10 years old at my grandparents' <laughs> house. So there was a, a rich spiritualist background on my mother's side. My mother is a trans channeler. My grandmother was, my uncle is. Every member of my mother's family has some type of that ability. And my father's side was, well, Greek Orthodox. So I'd go to church on Sunday. I went to Catholic school. I had a very eclectic spiritual background, but I was always very fascinated about health and specifically how our mind influenced our health. So I went through school and trying to, as a young person, figure out what I wanted to do, ended up at naturopathic medical school. And it really resonated with me because the tenets of naturopathy are really about getting to the root cause of illness, honoring our body's innate ability to heal itself, focusing on prevention, doctors, teacher, etc. And I really resonated with that beautiful philosophy and learned so many wonderful tools to support people to walk their path towards optimal health. Now, when I was done with medical school, I uh, started a private practice. I was seeing a lot of patients, but in the back of my mind, my curiosity just kept probing me like, well, how does this work and what's happening and what's the mechanism? And so I ended up getting into clinical research. I did a postdoctoral fellowship at my alma mater, naturopathic alma mater, and then also at Oregon Health and Science University, two postdoctoral fellowships, and ended up getting a master's in clinical research. And my research was focused on, ended up focusing on mindfulness meditation and specifically in uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. So I got a grant from the National Institute of Health to work with combat veterans and see how could being mindful of their symptoms, of what was going on for them, could support them in dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. And we found some really fascinating findings with that. I, at that, at OHSU, I would do these interviews with the combat veterans and I would get all of these insights into their experience. But of course, at an academic university, I couldn't really talk about that at the lab meeting, like, oh, you know, there's soul loss or, you know, I'm seeing the spirit <laughs> of someone they killed or, you know, yeah. I couldn't, it was, you know, the esoteric aspect of myself, my interest in all of that was just kind of hidden in the closet. It was pretty taboo to go there. So as a meditation researcher, I was invited to go to the Institute of Noetic Sciences for a work group on meditation. And it was called the future of meditation. So what were the pieces? There was all this interest in meditation research in the West, but what was missing? What were the pieces that people were not talking about? So that's what this work group was about with all of these expert meditation researchers. And I was just completely blown away by IONS, which is the acronym for Institute of Noetic Sciences, and their courage to ask these research questions that no one else was willing to ask. So through a beautiful synchronistic chain of events, I ended up being on staff at IONS as a scientist and then became director of research there. So I just am grateful every single day now for being able to be out of the closet about these topics and to conduct rigorous research about these research questions. How does 
the mind affect the body? How does intention affect the physical world? What are our capacities for knowing information or beyond our traditional five senses or being able to see energy, move energy, etc. So that's what I spend my days doing with a wonderful, amazing multidisciplinary team. And some of you may not know the background of IONS, and it's a really unique background. IONS is actually turning 50, and IONS was founded by Edgar Mitchell, who was an Apollo 14 astronaut, and he was the sixth person to walk on the moon. And as he was coming home from his job on the moon, he saw the earth, he saw the stars, the sun, he was spinning in his capsule, and he had this amazing transcendent oneness experience where he felt part of everything and that everything was part of him. So this was completely foreign to this engineer astronaut. And he came back to earth and said, I need to know what this is all about. So IONS has spent the last 50 years in various ways exploring this deep sense of interconnectedness that all humans have access to. And it's interesting that our culture, especially science, does have such a split between what we call parapsychology or psychic phenomena and what's regarded as mainstream science. If you look at the position papers of the American Psychological Association, they really take a strong position against researching parapsychology in the APA. And it's so interesting to then talk to actual psychologists who are often reporting the same things you're observing, that they worked with this veteran and the veteran had this vision or had this dream or perhaps had a, a dream that was a vision in which they were able to resolve something they weren't able to resolve in their daily life. I mean, there are all these things happening. And yet somehow we treat them as being different in a category apart from legitimate scientific pursuits. I mean, parapsychology is one of, one of the best research in, ter in terms of the rigor of the research uh, areas of science, and yet it's just not regarded as legitimate. Yes, you're absolutely right. I do feel those tides are changing, though. And there's a few pieces that I believe drive the taboos around this. One is that we are in our dominant paradigm right now is materialism. So the only thing that is real, supposedly, is the physical, is the material. So all of these phenomenon that have some aspect of non-local consciousness where I can like get information from outside my five senses, etc., they're essentially impossible in that paradigm. So what's interesting is we're actually moving out of that paradigm into a post materialist paradigm. So in that paradigm, our consciousness is not limited to our physical brain. We can actually tap into information and energy from beyond uh, time and space. And we see examples of this in our daily lives. We see it observed in the laboratory. There's numerous labs around the world that are demonstrating these non-local, post-materialistic, if you will, phenomenon. But we're straddling those two. <laughs> so until we fully shift, right, yeah. people are afraid. They're afraid to speak out. But I think that's changing. And maybe you experience that too. I get emails all the time from researchers, from general public saying, hey, you know, I've had this experience or, hey, I'm really interested in this. I want to start researching this now. How do I do this? I had a colleague just email me. They were at the Society for Neuroscience Conference, which is one of the, which is the biggest neuroscience conference. There's usually tens of thousands of people there. And they had a special little breakout room on science and spirituality. 
And they had over 40 people show up, which is unheard of. I mean, that wouldn't have happened a number of years ago. So I think the taboos are breaking a little bit and people are feeling more confident to express themselves around this, especially since there's evidence from cosmology, from quantum physics, et cetera, supporting this idea that we are all interconnected and that we can look beyond the material to see how these things work. So, Helena, if you were in an elevator with one of those people at that neuroscience conference and you had only three minutes till you hit the 24th floor and you wanted to present to them one piece of evidence that that demonstrates the non-locality of consciousness, what would you tell them? Which piece of evidence would you pick? I think the strongest and most accessible body of evidence is around remote viewing which is this idea that we can access information from beyond time and space. So the military put many dollars into this for a couple of decades, training soldiers to use this remote viewing skill to get information from behind enemy lines. And they had about 500 different actions that they took based on that information. There have been archaeological sites found, missing people discovered, predictions of the stock market from this capacity of being able to tune in, if you will, to information that they wouldn't normally have access to. Hmm. That's an interesting one. And yeah, that was a well-documented effort and done by the U.S. military. So it was one that has those benefits to it. So yeah, that's a really good one. We have to go to a a break right now. When we come back, though, I want to talk more about that and then move on to some other things too. So you're listening to High Energy Health. Find out more about the work of Noetic Sciences. Go to the website noetic.org. Noetic.org. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church. My guest today is Helena Wabe. You can see her new book at the website of the Institute of Noetic Sciences. That's noetic.org. And the title of her book is The Science of Channeling. If you'd like a copy of my newest book, it's called Bliss Brain, and you can get that at blissbrain.com. And make sure you check out the meditations there as well. We're now running studies on the effects of those meditations on your brain. And it turns out they start to produce actual anatomical changes in your brain in the first 30 days. So you want to make sure you have that happy, healthy brain and go and get those resources at blissbrain.com. So Helena, you had this background in things that were in that post-material world as you were growing up. You then chose a career in that. You also were a participant in that remarkable project on the future of meditation, which has been enormously influential project. And the, the paper that you produced I, is what I've cited over and over and over again. First, to associate things like meditation with various forms of alternative knowing, like channeling. So I thought that was a really interesting direction to take it in. And you know that paper also asked the very uncomfortable question, are there ever 
adverse effects from entering those spaces. You weren't afraid to ask the question, which I really respect. So that, that was an amazing piece of work. So how did you get from there channeling? Meditation, what's fascinating is that meditation is one incredible way for us to access altered states of consciousness, right? So a state of consciousness that is different from our ordinary state. And we find that when people are in an altered state of consciousness, they're able to access information and energy that they couldn't normally do in their daily lives. And so it seemed like an a easy jump, if you will. And of course, meditation was safer to study at that time than channeling was. Since I came to IONS, I have been supported and felt the courage to go more deeply into this topic of channeling. Now, many people, when they hear that word, they have very different perceptions of what I'm talking about. And I use a very broad definition of channeling. It is essentially this process of accessing information and energy from beyond our conventional notions of time and space that can appear receptive and also expressive. Now that's a big mouthful. What does that mean exactly? So channeling, the way I define it, exists on a spectrum. On one side, you might have things like gut hunches or intuitive hits that just about anyone could say they've experienced in their life to more um, extreme cases on the other side, like mediumship or what people call trance channeling, where the channeler believes that their body is being used by a non-physical being to communicate. And then everything in between, precognitive dreams, receiving mental impressions from another person, and these are all on this channeling spectrum. And I'm proposing that all humans have the capacity to channel in some way, but that the way that it shows up for them is unique to them. So for example, I get goosebumps on my skin when I'm receiving something or it's like a note for me to pay attention to a decision or a piece of information coming through. Other people might see colors around others or get mental impressions. Other people might hear things. For example, in some of our studies, we had numerous instances where people would hear a voice warning them of danger. So like someone's at a stop a stoplight and the light turns green, they're about to go and they hear stop and they listen to it, they stop and a huge semi truck you know, blows through the red light on the other side and they would have been smashed. So these are just some examples of what I'm calling channeling. So IONS has allowed me to rigorously create uh, research studies to study this. And of course, I'm not the first one. People have been studying this for formally for over 150 years. So we have a number of different studies that we've completed that we're still working on, looking at the various aspects of channeling. How common is it? Who can do it? How does it work? Does it give us any sort of useful information? How do you test it like experimentally? Well, it depends what we're looking at. For example, we just finished a study on something called telephone telepathy. And this is building on the work of Rupert Sheldrake, which many of your listeners may know. He 
started this paradigm of testing this common experience of knowing who's calling you. So the phone's ringing and you get an image of mom and oh, lo and behold, mom is calling me. Or I have an image of someone who I haven't talked to in 10 years and then they call me on the phone. So this idea of telephone telepathy is a common experience. Rupert started studying it and we did a replication study of one of his with about 100 people and we found positive results that when the caller was directing positive intention towards the person that they were calling, the person being called could guess who it was more accurately. So that was a fascinating study. We submitted our manuscript for publication. That's just one example of a channeling study. We've also done a number of studies looking at mental mediumship that our research scientist Arno Delorme is spearheading. There's many more, but I'll stop there. See if you have any questions. Yeah, I, I know that Rupert did those studies and showed that there was a possibility beyond chance that those intuitions were accurate. And so uh, there are those many phenomena like dogs that know when their masters are coming home that Rupert has, has pioneered. I'm just curious, where do you publish studies like that? Each study is unique. That one we submitted to scientific reports. The gold standard in all science is to publish a peer-reviewed manuscript. And journals have a rating called an impact factor. And you always want to try to get your manuscripts in the highest impact factor journal. And more recently, you want that journal to be open access, meaning that everyone could have access to it. So we try to get it into as high a journal as possible. And sometimes the journal rejects the manuscript outright because they are not willing to publish on subtopics. And we've seen blatant bias in that regard. And if not, then we work through that peer review process to get the manuscript completed. We're very excited because there are some more mainstream journals who are more willing to receive these manuscripts and engage in the peer review process. And we're being more and more invited to be editors on that. So I'm an editor for the Frontiers in Psychology, which is a mainstream open access journal. And it didn't used to be. We got a horrible rejection from them for, I believe it was the uh, Frontier uh, Future of Meditation paper scathing rejection from the editor around that. Anyway, we do our best to get it out there in the world in a, a way that is accessible to the many. And what we're seeing is that people are very, very interested in this topic and are feeling more comfortable to show that interest. I'm so thrilled that that paradigm is changing and it's showing up in the journals that accept you. We're going to a break right now. Please stay tuned. We'll be back in a moment. Again, Helena's book is called The Science of Channeling. Also, check out the website of the Institute of Noetic Sciences at noetic.org. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. Isn't this interesting? Aren't you curious? Aren't these 
kinds of abilities and ways of seeing and perceiving and participating in a consciousness greater than yourself intriguing. I'm so glad you're doing this for yourself, and I'm glad you're doing it as a way of exploring the possibility of being there on an ongoing basis. I know I meditate every morning, and that meditation period really frames my day. Even spending 20 or 30 minutes produces a substantial impact on your day, and I'm working on some new research now measuring how productive people get after they meditate. And it turns out that after about a month of meditation, we're finding people, if they're meditating effectively, their productivity at work is rising dramatically. So it produces a much better day after meditation as well as during meditation. So use the tools and ideas you're finding here to really shift your life. For more on Helena's work at Noetic Sciences, go to the website noetic.org and check out her new book, The Science of channeling. Dawson, you brought up a really great point, actually, because meditation is one of the strongest predictors for people to be able to have these channeling experiences in their life and to perform better on laboratory tasks. It's one of the strongest one along with believing that they are real and that they can do it. And like with the combat veterans, I invite people to, even if it's just a few minutes a day, to get into that still, quiet place. Sometimes when people are first beginning this practice, they feel overwhelmed that they have to sit for a long period of time or do it in a certain way. And I invite them to just, it can just be even one minute. Some of the combat vets, they just 30 seconds. Like, can you just sit still for 30 seconds? And then incrementally, you just build up from there. But building that in that daily practice is just so vital and essential, I feel, for health. And of course, we have a whole wealth of studies to back up that statement. Do you have a formal practice yourself? I do. I have been formally practicing meditation for over 20 years now. How long a day? About 20 minutes a day, more if I can, less if it's too busy, but definitely at least five minutes a day, I make sure Mm -hmm. to get it in there. Yeah. And it allows me to become more grounded, to become more centered, to get, like you mentioned earlier about, we get so much input externally to be able to go within to see where I'm at in that moment, where I'm coming from for the day. And the other piece you mentioned in your sharing about COVID is this aspect of emotion and positive and negative emotion. And my meditation practice, I think the greatest gift that it has given me is the ability to be, to have a strong, neutral witness and to understand that my emotions are not who I am. They do not define me. They are beautiful expression of my humanness flowing through me and that they're transitory and that they're always changing. So if I can be in a grounded present state, naming them, observing them, that they, and breathing into them, giving them space, loving them, even if it's a negative, horrible emotion, that it will shift and change and dissipate. That is a huge gift because like you, 20, 25 years ago, you know, my usual state was more depressed, anxious, nervous, and uh, I'm just so grateful for these tools. I mean, I can't imagine my life without them. 
Yeah, I, I had a really poignant conversation with a friend of mine last month. And as part of a group that I'm working with now, people be called the Awakeners and the people who are cultivating awakened states, transcendent states of consciousness daily in their lives. And he and I were part of, were in a spiritual community in when we were like 18, 19 years old. So we, we've known each other for 50 years or more. And we were just reflecting back on being in the spiritual community and, and then learning acupressure, healing, energy healing, meditation, all these things back then. And what my friend said to me was that a lot of these, these, these techniques that we now take for granted, I mean, about 20% of the Western population meditates and about, I mean, over half use alternative medicine. And he said that, he said, Dawson, you know, we have all the stuff now. We have EFT, we have meditation, we have naturopathy, we have complementary medicine. My parents didn't have any of this stuff. They just suffered. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I really, really caught me in the heart when he said that, Helena. I was like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine not having these tools. It's amazing. I think the other aspect of this work that your audience would love hearing about is the power of intention. And I talk about that a lot in our book. And Dean Radin, our chief scientist, has done a lot of work around intention and how our intention affects the physical world. And there's numerous studies now that we're seeing in the laboratory and outside of it that demonstrate that our mental intention really does influence um, the physical world. And when you think about that in relationship to health, you know, of course, when I first started in research, psychoneuroimmunology was still a baby, but now it's this incredible developed field looking at the interactions between the mind and the body. And now it's just very accepted that our mental states influence the physical body. So, and that's not to make people feel bad or guilty if they are having negative thoughts or negative emotions. I think more than that, it's to bring loving kindness and acceptance to that, but know that you actually have, can be empowered to affect your physical body in a way by working with your mind, because you do have some control and there's so many tools available for you to work with your thoughts, work with your mind, work with your intention. And this kernel is so important. And all the studies that we're seeing around intention affecting the physical world, it's not about the back end formula. It's about what the person envisions to be so. So I'll just explain this one experiment. So someone's sitting in the lab, they're looking at a screen and there's a random number generator that they are supposed to be directing their intention to. And this thing is spitting out zeros and ones. I'm just simplifying this experiment. And so what the person sees on the screen is they are supposed to intend for this line, red line to go up. Okay, so in the beginning of the experiment, that red line going up is connected to more ones in the data stream, and they can do that. They're directing their intention to make the red line go up, and there's more ones, right? So they can switch it on the back end without the person knowing and connect the red line going up with more zeros. And so the person's goal is to make the red line go up, which then generates more zeros on the back end. So the point of this is it doesn't matter 
how the mechanism works, us envisioning what we want to manifest is more important. Wow, powerful. I wrote a whole book about that called Mind to Matter. And it was so fun because Helen A, when I began writing Mind to Matter, I was pretty much an agnostic. I thought, well, you know, obviously we'll find that mind affects molecules like, you know, in our bodies, oxytocin, cortisol, and so on. That's that's a no-brainer. But will we really be able to show convincingly that, that it affects things in the outside world? And as I wrote the book and looked at the research on this, I found over 400 studies showing that it does. So I was blown away. I became a believer in the course of yes. writing the book. Yeah, we're going to go to a break right now, but please stay tuned. And we'll come back after a short while to wrap up here. I'm, I'm My guest today is Helena Wabe, and you can get her book, The Science of Channeling, wherever books are sold. And if possible, get it to your local bookseller because we want to support our local bookstores. And for more on her work, you can also go to the website noetic.org. She also has a course there on the science of channeling. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and I love sharing with you every week on the show real practical ideas and strategies you can use for your well-being and your happiness. For more on Helena's work, go and check out the website of the Institute of Noetic Sciences at noetic.org and also her new book, The Science of Channeling. She also has an online course at noetic.org on the science of channeling, so you can find that there too. Helena, I know also you did that really innovative study on energy healers, talented energy healers, and the effects of their work on pain. I'd love to hear more about that study too. Yes, we're very interested in energy medicine and have been exploring it in a variety of different ways. We completed a couple of years ago now, a large study with 17 different energy medicine practitioners from a variety of different backgrounds who gave a 30 minute energy medicine session to about 200 people who were suffering with hand and wrist pain. What was unique about the study was that we had many different measures to collect the effects of these energy medicine sessions. One of them was that the practitioner and the participant were wearing vials of water on their bodies during the sessions. And we also had practitioners do their energy medicine on vials of water. So we could see what was happening. This was to get at the mechanism or how the energy medicine might work. And we found that there was a difference in the control water samples and the regular water samples. And it was about something called evanescence, which is the length and the angle of the water and oxygen bond. So considering that much of our bodies are made of water, this was a really fascinating finding to us. There was also a difference in the water on the practitioner in the vial, but fascinatingly not in the participant. And we're not sure why that's so, but we're uh, doing some follow-up studies on that, which will hopefully give us more information about it. Well, how did they change? How did the what change exactly? The evanescence, so this length and angle of the water molecule changed during the sessions compared to the control samples. So there was some shift 
in that measure that we didn't see in the control time periods. So it's quite fascinating to me to learn that. Another objective measure that we did, I mentioned random number generators already. We have a version of that called a quantum noise generator. It's essentially just random noise, data noise. And we had these devices running during the sessions and also um, when there was no session happening. And we saw uh, differences in the data. This data should be random. So the, the data during the sessions was less random, meaning it was more coherent. So this is a, also a very fascinating finding. It's wonderful because in energy medicine, some people say, oh, it's just placebo, which in and of itself is really powerful. And we could have a whole discussion about that, but they dismiss it. And so to be able to have objective measures demonstrating differences during these sessions are quite powerful. We've taken that quantum noise generator and um, Dean Radin, who I mentioned already, is working with a collaborative international team to further this work. We have all of these devices on an array where there's many of them. So it becomes kind of like a potential visual map of how this random noise is changing in its uh, interaction with the biofield and during healing sessions. So there's really exciting work that's kind of blossoming around this arena of the biofield and energy medicine that we're really excited about. Yeah, and each piece of evidence like that, as it accumulates, gives more and more proof and also more dimensions of proof, more of the dimensions in which this is happening, that there's something going on there. And I know it's hard to placate the skeptics. I was looking at the Wikipedia entry for acupuncture recently, and uh, it just dismisses it as a pseudoscience, all placebo. There are 13,000 studies of acupuncture, and they're just like, wished away by these skeptics. And so there is such an entrenched unwillingness to accept scientific reality there that really really startles me. The, I mean, you have to have a lot of faith, a huge amount of faith to, to dismiss 13,000 studies. So <laughs> I know, I know. We've talked about like doing a campaign because you can supposedly rewrite those entries to make them more accurate, but then they just get reverted. And so we've changed our tactic. What happens if, you know, having well-documented, rigorously expressed evidence is high on search engines so that when someone Googles acupuncture, the Wikipedia entry is not the top one that shows up. It's one by a open, curious, rigorous uh, organization that's actually presenting the data in a neutral way. Yeah, I've actually thought about writing a paper for a peer-reviewed journal about um, the science denial on yes. Wikipedia because um, it, you know, it has severe consequences. We know that science denial resulted in deaths during COVID. We know the science denial uh, resulted in inability, a very late response to climate change. There are huge human costs and suffering to science denial. And so I've, I've had this paper in the back of my mind for a few years. Yeah. So <laughs> time is ripe for that. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. One thing so I we... didn't mention, which I should mention is that that study with the 200 participants, they had a reduction in pain. So the energy medicine did improve their pain. We did another follow-up study with 40 participants with uh, Reiki masters, and it wasn't specifically pain, but they had improvements in well-being. So we continue to see these positive findings and symptoms, as well yeah. as trying to discover how it works. 
Well, it's been so much fun to connect with you again, to chat with you, to encourage people to explore all of these things for themselves. Know that there are dimensions to who you are and where you can move to in terms of your health and well-being far beyond the materialist paradigm that Helena was mentioning earlier. Helena, thank you so much again, and I can't wait till our next connection. Thanks so much, Dawson. And thanks everyone for being here and being with us today. And make sure you make high energy health a regular part of your life. Till next week, all the best. 